Welcome to the fascinating world where giants roam and minuscule creatures hold secrets to survival. In this episode of the Information Entry Podcast, we explore the evolutionary moles that led to the vast differences in animal sizes, where the majestic blue whale dominates the ocean to the tiny insects buzzing in your back guard. Each creature has a tail woven into the fabric of life. Join us as we delve into the mysteries of nature, uncovering why animals grow colossal, while others remain diminutive. You ready for the adventure or across scales? Let's dive straight in. As per usual, I am joined by Tom Jenks. How are you doing, Tom? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Good. Uh, if you want, if you could follow us on any socials that we have, we are on Instagram, X, all the RSS feeds that you could possibly find, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast goodness, we are there. Yeah, Appreciate throw it. in Info Entropy Pod and you'll find us on most places. Yeah. And share with your friends. That'd be good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks in advance. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you had a good week, mate. Now you have to do it. Yes. <laughs> We've already thanked you. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Big versus small. You know, you can tell the, the topics that I pick. Biology. Mm. Um, Animal-centric, thought, you could say. A- Animal-centric. Like my board game <laughs> set up. Um, it's just animals. <laughs> Just all your, all your board, board games. Game. Wingspan, Arc yeah. Nova, Cascadia, uh, among the regulars. Uh, Brass Birmingham, the newest edition, not animal-centric. but that is uh, true. Yeah. No. Also very good. Would recommend all of the above if you're looking for something. Yeah. Played it many years ago. It was good. That's a really good time. It's just... It's a bit to get your head around. Um, but once you do, the interplay is actually very, very interesting. Um. Yeah, just a good time. It's just it's just, just straight up. Just straight if up you're an animal lover like me, hundred percent recommend Ark Nova. Of course, it is there's like a just so good. There's like a category that I fall into when I buy like board games. Like, is there a niche? But I don't think really there is because they got a whole plethora. Like Machikaru is um city building. It's a Japanese game. It's just mm. dice, dice rolling with a little bit of skill. Um, okay. Really good with like kids and people that don't want to full like, <laughs> just like, yes. here's all the rules. It's literally like, here's one or two dice. And the, the two, the second dice comes in. If you like, you build one thing, you can then roll two. But it's up to you. It's a may, it's a may action. Not a, you have to. Okay. Um, and depending on what gets rolled, you get coins. And those coins, you build things. But you can also steal coins from opponents if they like roll a specific number, like three. You get like a couple of coins from them, mm, and okay. as much as you build four monuments, you win. You win the game. That that's what it is. I mean, yeah, I, I know really my board games—they fit into a, a niche of theme, but the mechanics are very different between them. Cascadia yeah, is like, like tile placement. Uh, Arc Nova is like you just build a zoo. There's a bit of worker placement, but it's mainly a card draw game. Um, wingspan, worker placement, card draw. Okay, maybe maybe they're they're similar, <laughs> but the ways you play the cards yeah. are different. Um, anyway, we're not here to speak mm. about board games. Maybe we'll do an oh, episode. We, I wish we were. Another you know? point. <laughs> well, we can we do that. We can. That's do the that. second podcast that we're starting off on the side. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so before be called, we get into, are you bored yet? <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Right, trademark <laughs> that quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> check that out. Check that out. Uh, we know it just become a magic channel in the end anyway. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Magic the Gathering, not just like us pretending to be magicians. <laughs> for those it, who are the, not do you know what? The, the I really circle. feel that doing magic tricks really lends itself to a, an audio medium. <laughs> like, oh my God, he you just did, pulled a like bit out of a hat. someone go, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Was um, this your card? <laughs> How did you know? Uh, yeah. Picked it out of 10,000 as well. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, anyway, <laughs> news before we get into our big versus small um, adventure. So, fusion energy mm. is the route that I've gone down this week. Um, so, we covered this when a major breakthrough happened in December 2022. Uh, So just to remind you all of that, scientists at the U.S. National Ignition Facility announced the historic milestone and for the first time that their laser-powered fusion reaction had broken even. So before that, every time that people had ignited a nuclear fusion reactor, they'd always had to put more energy in than they got out uh, until December 2022. Now, big advances... Oh, sorry. Advances as big as this need to be rigorously checked. Um, and that, in science, can actually take some time. Until the series of papers documenting all of this that have now been finally peer-reviewed and have all been published um, just a couple of weeks ago. So the researchers had something to say which was this achievement is the culmination of more than five decades of research. It gives proof that laboratory fusion based on fundamental physics principles, is possible. Um, So fusion, for those of you who are slightly in the dark, and I've just skipped way too far, um, is the merging of two or more atoms to form a larger atom. If I just get two atoms, smash them together, that actually releases a lot of energy. Um, But it needs a lot of energy to start it. But once you get over a certain threshold, it becomes like a self-sustaining mechanism. The experiments involved bombarding a capsule containing uh, 220 micrograms of deuterium and tritium fuel with 192 high-powered lasers, which raises the pressure to 600 billion atmospheres and the temperature to 151 million degrees Celsius, or 272 million degrees Fahrenheit, um, far exceeding that what is inside the sun and... Yeah, they, the lasers fired 2.05 megajoules of energy into the fuel and they managed to capture 3.15 megajoules released from the overall reaction. And what they have said since that, in December 2023, is that they've actually managed to replicate this three additional times since that initial trial. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully more improvements are on the way and uh i don't know that the future might nearly be here unlimited don't, don't tell me that fuel power energy yeah oh, we unlimited power. yeah i was gonna say you skipped straight <laughs> over the pop culture reference or star wars sorry there. yeah yeah um i was it's because in my head i was thinking about dr octavius and spider-man uh, 2 yeah um uh, what's what in the office? Oh, Spider-Man into the universe. What's her name? Gwen. It's a she. 
No, 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 no. Dog Dog Tavia is a, is a oh, she. Oh, yes. And that's how they like do the big reveal. Like, and he goes, oh, what's your name again? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Olivia Octavia. I think is that her name? I think so. But yeah, that's the big exciting reveal. Just a, just a great cartoon. Just go watch it. I'm not even a cartoon, mate. Wait. What, Into the Multiverse, isn't it? No, it's animation. Oh, yeah. Sorry. D- yeah, don't don't Apologies. don't bring Apologies. don't bring that here. Yep, don't bring that here. Yes. <laughs> I understand the difference. There are cartoonists that do cartoons, and there's animators who animate animations. Yes. Um, Weirdly, this is a mixture of both, though, because they use like two D effects and like a, a three D plane. Um, it's really because... cool, some of the stuff, the animating techniques they were using, especially in the second. Maybe we should do an episode on animation at some point, because <laughs> it was cool. Speaking of cartoons and like, animations, I Avatar. have a whole plethora of individuals that I can get on board for that. Like, So I went to you, when I went to uni, my largest, my friendship group, were all just doing like on the animation courses. Yeah. Um, so like I got, got like a, a slight in with, with them and like how hard and difficult it is and... Um, Bournemouth University is like one of the big unis, if you didn't know, for animation in oh. Europe. Well, I didn't um, know, no. Yeah, there's like one in France, there's Bournemouth, and there's another one to the point where the people that uh, animated that movie, Spiders, uh, Spider-Man in, in the Multiverse, came and did a talk about their oh, techniques cool. and stuff. And then there was a showing of the movie afterwards. You could ask them questions and stuff. That's wild. Yeah, I didn't realise this until, like, second year. <laughs> and they were like, George, do you want to come to this? Like, they've got, uh, it's called BFX. And, like, people come from abroad to go there. And they were like, yeah, we can just get tickets because we're on the course. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's cool. Um, Avatar The Last Airbender, live action remake released today. Yeah, I'm probably not going to watch it. Oh, uh, I don't know. I've watched the first half of the first episode. I'm in. The, re- the, the reason that, okay, the reason that I don't, I'm not a fan of it is the the brother, I always forget the name. Soka? Well, that doesn't have the power. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, Soka, Soka, uh, Soka. Um, they dialed him back and removed the, the womanizer aspect of his character, which... Makes sense if you don't know his whole, like, his arc of his, like, his person. Because they're not doing the whole... They're not going to do the entire story until they finish. And they don't have enough time to go into the nuances of him, like, learning. Like, he thinks he's a playboy, but then he's not. And then he comes around to him knowing not. Then he goes and finds some people to, like, learn the better way. And then finally gets, like... As it comes comes full circle. Yeah. And they, they've dialed that back from like a nine to like a one. And his character just like doesn't really make sense to me. So I'm probably not going to watch it. Oh. I think you should give it a try. Maybe. Um, just because they changed be... one element of someone. I don't think that was his entire personality from what I In remember the cartoons, watching the show. pretty much is. Nah, a lot of it is about being stubborn and thinking he's right and then trying to yeah, get no, over it's, his dad it's, leaving it's, it and everything like that, right? So ego. I'd say it was... Ego is one for is sure. the one of the main things which feeds into everything else. Yeah. Okay. Well, you do you. Yeah, I'm going to oh. enjoy it. 
It, it I don't have good. enough time to watch everything, Tom. Got to be picking and choosing now. What? We've been over this. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Big versus small. Yeah, you got any facts? Why man? animals like that? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, I ask you, you got any facts? You I got, do actually facts? have some facts oh. this week. Um, so Georgie gave me these facts because I had forgotten. Oh. And obviously <laughs> she's a blue whale researcher. So she's like, oh, you're doing big animals. Have some blue whale facts. So um, I've got big. some specifically no. blue whale only facts. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'll just go over those. Um, blue whales, biggest animal to have ever existed. Get your Diplodocus out of here. Blue whales, they take the crown. Um, relative to their size, their throat opening is actually very, very small. Um, it is thought that their esophagus is only 10 centimetres wide. And this is why they can only eat krill. Whereas other baleen whales, or whales that um, have that raucal pouch, the pouch on their throat that expands as they, they gulp up water, um, they can eat fish as well, small fish, but um, blue whales, just krill for them. Um, and I was given the fact that their vocalizations are possibly one of the loudest in the world. Uh, recorded at 180 decibels. Now that mm. obviously completely depends on whether you're in water or in, or in air. So if you're on like online and they're like, ah, uh, the sperm whale is often taken as being the loudest animal on the planet. Um, at like, I think 207, no, 230 dB or something like that. But uh, that's, then they go, ah, oh, it's as loud as a fighter jet. But they're comparing sound levels in water to sound levels in air, which you just can't do unless you do some maths. <laughs> um, and they normally just kind of go, oh, it's dB and it's dB, so it must be the same. But actually, dB is a logarithmic interpretation of the scale that you are using to measure amplitude. So it's different if you're using in air. I think to a log of 20 uh, is different between air and water. So they're pretty loud, though. You can hear them from hundreds of miles away, if not nearly th a thousand miles away. You can hear uh, whales. So just really cool animals. When you say you can hear, you obviously yes. mean through a high-powered microphone, not through, like, your ears. Um, you, we it's, it's, struggle it's, it's, to hear blue whales right on top of them because of the frequency that they're at. Yeah, so I do not what I mean. Like, I'm not like dipping my head to do it <laughs> off there. a boat into the side of a water and being like, "Oh yeah, there's a a whale in that direction." <laughs> no, well, your ears wouldn't be attuned to pick up direction anyway in water because it travels too quickly. Um, but you don't need a high-powered microphone. You could just dip a hydrophone in that is attuned to that frequency and you you would hear them yeah it's cool it's cool stuff it's cool stuff like you don't need something that's me mega sensitive just waterproof yeah. just waterproof hydrophone <laughs> or microphone in a condom does that work um it's, it's not great but yes it works oh okay that's i have done that <laughs> before it's yeah. more like a balloon because you don't want you don't want lube to get on your microphones imagine the microphones themselves are quite expensive um 
Yeah, I guess. The balloon would be better. <laughs> well, it works for us. Right. Why did you bring lube on this boat, Jim? <laughs> well, got to put this microphone into... That's a HR complaint coming straight away. Hey, we, I was just doing what I was told. We were out on the boats. <laughs> they were like, oh, just make sure you put a condom over the recorder. And we're like, what? I, I, uh, okay. Uh, I think because uh, we were working for an NGO an hour in Africa at the time, they didn't have many, and yeah. the recorders themselves weren't waterproof. So we just had like multiple things in condoms. Yeah, which are easier to obtain than balloons in remote Africa. <laughs> so yeah, okay. I got some facts. Good. Ones are all please, yes, rescue one, me. Ones are all some, some we'll talk about later on. Uh, Bergman's rule, you know, of oh. Bergman's rule. No, you know, not off the top of my head, this, no. This ecological principle it suggests that animals of larger size are found in colder environments because larger bodies have a smaller surface area relative to their volume, which helps reduce heat loss. Yeah, it works. It's it. It, uh, it works, sorry. That's what I mean. Thermoregulation. That's what I'm looking for. Yes. Yeah. It helps. I don't think I can get away with that now. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you moved back south. You used to go back up to Bristol, mate, where it's cold. Freezing. Absolutely freezing up there. Yeah. yeah. I can be like, oh, well, Bergman's rule. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, so one is island dwarfism. Uh, strange fact of when animal species are isolated in islands with limited resources they tend to evolve smaller sizes over generations known as insular dwarfism and i've got a whole section of that we'll talk about that That sounds really interesting yeah i'd like to speak about that more yeah and then other things like metabolic rates small animals generally have a higher metabolic rate than large animals so they need to eat more frequently to survive makes sense yeah People, Quite some some people be like, oh yeah, but like smaller dogs need to eat less because they're smaller, and they need to go to the toilet less because they're smaller. It's like no, it just it just happens more often. Yes. Also, they have a fast metabolism. They, they do have a fast metabolism, but also I don't know how much it varies within a single species. I know breeds are very different from each other aesthetically, mm-hmm. but I don't yeah. know how far down they like. Let's say what they started evolving ten less than ten thousand years ago, um, and more recently a few hundred years. Let's say, like specifically the the, the breed, the differentiating of the breeds. So I don't know whether evolution's had time to change the metabolism so much, or whether it, I guess it's just inherent on the size. Could could be something I'm not I'm not considering there. So, smaller dogs have lower basal metabolic rates and a higher mass-specific metabolic rates than ah. large dogs. Oh, yeah. So, higher mass-specific metabolic rates. Yep, so smaller dogs actually have a longer lifespan than larger dogs. I guess it's just inherent, because if you are like a Great Dane, you've got ten times more mass and like muscle to feed and supply energy to, right, than... I don't know, a chihuahua. So yeah, that makes sense. It's just a shame that a chihuahua is a cat, so... A chihuahua is a cat. 
Yeah, and all and everything's a fish. So moving oh, yes, on. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's Moving also on. talking about we talked about like you said Bergen's regulation about thermoregulation Bergen's rule and thermoregulation large animals have a more efficient thermoregulation system due to their small surface area to volume ratios making it easier to maintain a constant thermal temperature so it's not just because of the surface area they actually have a better internal more efficient thermoregulatory system one of the same you could argue yeah well, I have found out a really cool thermoregulation fact this week Okay. Um, he's, so, he's tell. bats, right? They're not uh, yeah. that. Uh, they're quite tiny. Normally, the smaller you go, the higher the internal temperature because of metabolic rate act- acting quicker. Um, so, th- the normal body temperature is around thirty-eight um, de- degrees. It's just slightly higher than ours. Um, however. When they go on a flight, they're moving their wings so quickly and they're expending energy so rapidly that their internal body temperature can increase by anywhere between 2 and 5.3 degrees. Right. Up to something like 42 degrees. Doesn't sound a lot. But whenever that kind of internal body temperature change happens in another mammal, their DNA starts to break down and they just essentially die. No other mammal can go through such a rapid or a just a not even a rapid, just a temperature change such as that and (laughs) have a good time. Whereas whereas bats do it nightly because they this happens every single time they they go on a flight um and we actually so research has been done on this and actually find that they um are really good at fending off certain diseases like the diseases that infect bats have to be really good at surviving temperature which if you've ever gotten the cold or a flu which i would <laughs> wager most of you have um <laughs> you're, you you start to feel really shit because your body increases in temperature, right? Uh, it's one of the best ways that we fight off uh, viruses and things. Feverish. Feverish. So, yeah, bats are doing really cool stuff with their thermoregulation. Yeah. Oh. Good fact. Good fact. Extra fact for you there. Just off, yeah. off the noggin. Just off the noggin. Full knowledge, aren't you, mate? Well, you have specific and unwarranted knowledge. <laughs> Outside <laughs> like, of the context of this podcast. <laughs> who get to this part in their lives, who are like around the age of like 30, 40, they, you have very specific and niche knowledge about at least one thing. Yeah, unless you're like your pub quiz, you're just general pub quiz knowledge, and then that's the road you've gone <sighs> down. But right. I think even Do that's niche. Because uh, the question is always quite... it's, it's only pub knowledge. It's not everything. It's like like who won the the football in like 1964 at the, the FA World Cup. Right. Yeah. Brilliant. Great. You know that. I hate that. Just that. <laughs> that kind of knowledge just bugs me. Yeah. Like I've, <laughs> as a very niche individual, that you know, like you could ask you know, a lot of things about like cyber security, Magic the Gathering, D and D, any of the, the, the my past. Uh, hyperfixations like Smite video games Helldivers 2 at the moment have you seen this have you seen all the oh, I was debating whether I need to get that 
Oh, made so much fun. I've put so much time into it. I thought <laughs> so, you would have. I thought you would have. But yeah, um, I like... actually find myself so busy right now that uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know. I'm still trying to get through Harry Potter. <laughs> so. Oh, what, the game or the movies? No, Hogwarts Legacy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought, I thought it would be Hogwarts Legacy. Yeah. How, how that was. It's just a game made by a small amount of people that sold a million in, in the first two weeks of it being live. It does look good. It's just it a lot of fun, good. and it nothing's broken. It all works. They haven't tried it to like slow your progress. No, no, I'm the not. Only this thing I've heard of it is oh, I can't get online because it's broken and the servers oh. are always down. Yeah, no, we we worked out a way around it. So oh, okay, which I'm not going to say because I don't know. But they fixed that essentially. They upped the server amount they could have. They put in an auto kick, so if people are just sat holding server slots it now kicks them if they go for afk which is really good um they put out like 20 patches in a week to try and fix things they really care about it and there's it shows and it's really really enjoyable okay um and the whole idea of like you have to like pretty yes well (laughs) it sucks a lot if you've got an xbox to be honest or even playstation um like the whole idea of like you have to protect it the super earth from like different fronts and it's like super patriotic but like tongue-in-cheek super obviously like cringy yeah. and that's so, what makes it amazing um so the game if people haven't heard of it it's like a massively multiplayer online game where essentially i think i mean you, you'll be able to explain it better you earth is at the center of this galaxy and yes. then you're being attacked from different sides of the galaxy by different factions uh, yeah races currently let's say currently current uh and you have to yeah, liberate certain be, sections yeah. of the galaxy um, yes i guess it'll end at some point and reset if that happens or they'll just keep fudging it well, so it never happens I, I don't i don't know i think it'll, there'll be like events that'll like they'll get to super earth and they have to push them back on like different fronts but there's only two factions and that's the tyranids if i'm, I'm they're not tyranids that's from Star Trek troopers <laughs> there is the tyranids, no, tyranids and it's warhammer the, 40k <laughs> is it what's yeah. it we'll um starship troopers is just the the bugs isn't it yeah but i thought they were called tyranids no. Well, okay. Essentially, they're tyranids. <laughs> that, that's where I got that. But I just they're just arachnids. But they're, they're just they're you just have bugs. the warrior bug. Yeah, they're bugs. They're just bugs. You're almost like you got bugs, and then on the other side you've got automatons, which are like if you imagine Skynet when you're fighting off Terminator or the automatons. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. One side you've got the Necrons. On the other <laughs> side you've got the tyranids. Yeah. Uh, four people drop down and you do these missions and you fight all these people and depending on when you like complete a mission it tells you like what you're adding to the liberation percentage yeah it's a very cool and mechanic like, and i understand why people have gotten really brilliant. involved and it does look quite smooth when it, when it's working anyway animals yes. animals. animals so <laughs> i don't know how you want to go because i just did like burgers um, rule insular dwarfism oxygen and the effect it has on creatures that's a big one that's cool. Um, uh, just, and then uh, I've got. Wait, I went sideways a little bit. <laughs> like big versus small. I was like, yeah, yeah, I've got something here. Of why humans are bad at thinking about big things. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think there's always an interesting <laughs> take to, to look at things. I thought I would very quickly just describe what an animal is. Um, you can try, mate. People have been trying for years. As, <laughs> yeah, let's say someone in, as a biologist, right? Uh, yeah, when I thought it, I was like, what actually is an animal? Does a single cell organism count? I, I don't know. Um, so I just quickly 
gave it a Google. Animals are characterized by a lack of cell walls, allowing for greater flexibility of movement and shape. They are heterotrophic, meaning they obtain their nutrients by consuming other organisms. Um, or, you know, plants. It's mm-hmm. technically an organism. Um, animals exhibit diverse body plans, modes of reproduction, and behaviors, and includes a vast array of species, ranging from microscopic to massive ones. I got some examples of the, the tiniest animals that you could think to come across. Now, you got to think, a- a- animals are typically multicellular. I don't know if there are any things we would describe as an animal that are only a single cell. So some of the smallest animals are rotifers, which are microscopic animals found in aquatic environments. You can think of them as having a characteristic wheel-like structure. Uh, They can be as small as 0.1 millimeters. And when you look at them, they will just look like a cell with some weird tail flagellating around. Um, Almost like a loose sperm. Yes. Right. Uh, tardigrades, the water bears, the oh, tardigrades. What an absolute the, the the mascot of the show, if there had to be one. I think um, that or the hydra. Who knows? Uh, tardigrades are microscopic, water-dwelling animals known for their resilience. They can survive extreme conditions, including high radiation, dehydration, and even the vacuum of space. The only animal known mm-hmm. to do so. Mm-hmm. Sizes can vary, but um, species are less than a millimeter in length, typically. <clears throat> and it wasn't just like a lifting the lid off and then closing it really quickly. They like they kept them out there for a, a while and then yeah, brought them I in. I think it was a few hours out. at least, wasn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Um, but the dehydration they've survived for I think a decade. It is. They are just. Oh yeah. Crazy, crazy animals. Um, worth a episode in their own right. But uh, yeah, so th- there's a quick definition of. When we're going small, we're going to be speaking about things that millimeters uh, minimum. <laughs> I was going to say maximum then. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, all the way up to stuff like blue whales um, being the biggest creature that has ever lived. Yeah. What's the um, we- weird random question? Yes. We don't have to spend long on it. Um, okay. <laughs> what's the biggest animal you've ever seen? In real life? In real life. Like with your actual goggles that you call eyes <laughs> I don't actually call them, I call them binoculars actually oh, okay uh, if you've seen it through binoculars I will count that uh, I think I've seen a whale okay uh, aside from that uh, a shark pretty aside beefy aside from that uh, I'm trying to think I'm trying to think like have I seen an olivant I don't think I have Mr. seen an elephant an olive in person. If there's a situation that I have, no, I probably haven't. Hmm. It's, it's a weird question because it's not been like, yes, this is the biggest animal that I've seen. Yeah, I, I, get, <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean. <laughs> like categorizing things in my head to be like. Whereas when you were you know five, what? you were like, I saw an animal that was this big. You know, it was yeah, really important yeah. back then. And now and you're nearly some, 30. At some point, you just matter, lose that, that childish excitement and exhilaration for life. Uh, the, yeah. Well, I guess yours is not as a whale. Yeah, well, so it's either... I guess you could think about it two different ways. I've seen, I've seen an elephant. Um, yeah. Giraffe. They're massive. They're not they're really tall. big though; they're just tall. They're tall. So that's I think, what I I think there's, there's a there's a, like um, a, a differentiator there. Like otherwise, I think it would have to be a humpback whale. 
mm. would be would be the biggest. Just girthy do you know things. What, do you know what I was going to do? I was going to be really infantile and be like, yo mama, but your mother's <laughs> lovely, so I wouldn't say that. <laughs> it would have made me laugh, though, but... <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, oh dear. Good. I just I just love your mama jokes. I, I don't know what it is. It's just they, like, just they just fell out of popularity about five years ago, and I thought it needs to come back. Yeah, um, one that always gets me. If someone's just like, suck your mum. <laughs> suck your mum. It just gets me oh, every single time. Like, brilliant. it just sends me really. I don't know why. It's just such a stupid... Like, I can never take offence at it, because it's just so silly. Uh, I've got, yeah. like, a special place in my heart when people bring, like insults back from when we were at school and like they just didn't make sense yeah. like calling someone a wet lord <laughs> oh no sorry sorry it's <laughs> just a wet sorry i've mixed two there it's a wetson calling somebody a wetson and it just means absolutely nothing yeah. but it's just like everybody's to call everybody wetsons that's a good time <laughs> uh, bloody hell right uh you, you take it wherever you want to take it mate you you go there okay i'm gonna i'm gonna explain Bergman's rule. And it is a principle in zoology that explains the correlation between the size of a warm-blooded animal, endotherms, as they're called, and the climate they inhabit. Proposed by the 19th century German biologist Karl Bergman, the rule states that animals in colder climates tend to have a larger body size compared to those living in warmer regions. The reason behind this pattern is primarily due to the surface area to volume ratio so large animals have a lower ratio which means they lose more heat slowly and can retain warmth more efficiently in cold environments conversely smaller animals with a higher surface area to volume ratio can dissipate bodily heat more rapidly in advantage in warmer climates do you reckon there's like a, been a really snobby zoologist uh like making bergman rules ratio jokes to people and then just like not getting it Probably. To be like, like yes. Yes, I heard your mama's got a massive Bergman's principle ratio. <laughs> <laughs> your mum retains her heat too well. <laughs> Such a stupid size joke. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. oh, Christ. I mean, knowing how nerdy scientists get, uh, especially within the lab where they're all focusing on the same thing. Yes, those jokes would 100% get made. Oh, would they be being made in the 1930s? I don't know. <laughs> but yes, I'm sure jokes like that are being made. I just oh, imagine a guy, a guy like, not like, like, <laughs> like really aristocratically laughing while like twiddling this mustache, like, yes, yes, yes. Oh, dear. <laughs> so. The rule has been observed across various groups, including birds, where studies have shown changes in body size that align with global warming trends suggest an evolutionary response consistent with Bergman's rule. However, its applicability to reptiles and invertebrates is less clear, with some studies finding evidence of the rule in marine copepods. Yes, copepods. What, what are they? Copepods are a small type of plankton, I do believe. Okay. But it's not consistent across turtles or lizards. The rule does not generally apply to plants, with some exceptions noted in specific genera that show larger sizes in cool environments through these patterns may not directly be related to climatic variables. 
The underlying mechanism for Bergman's rule is that thermal adaptation facilitated by the surface area to volume ratio, which impacts the animal's ability to conserve or dissipate heat. This concept extends beyond just the size of the animal to include other aspects of physiology and behavior, such as heart size in relation to the body weight, which is Hesse's rule, which further supports the idea that cold climate species have adapted for heat conservation. There are actually some criticisms to this rule. It includes observation that body size may be influenced by a variety of factors beyond temperature, such as food availability, ecological dynamics, suggesting a more complex interplay of factors affecting animal size than rules might hither Burgers will might just apply. Additionally, some studies have expanded on or questioned the rule's universality, noting exceptions and exploring the influences of other environmental and ecological factors on animal size. I feel like anyone who reads Bergman's Rule and then goes, oh, that's it. That's the only root thing that determines size. <laughs> Hasn't been outside ever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> of course that's a criticism. I'm, I'm, mm. I doubt he ever went, this is the only thing. <laughs> yes. Size, I am right? drawing a line in the sand <laughs> and writing this in stone. There is nothing else that will exist beyond so, this rule. So, like, uh, I, I, I get, and yes, it's a valid, like, complaint to have but at the same time it's like yeah but I, I don't think that was the issue that was trying to solve we were just presenting one thing here yeah um a rule yeah a rule a, a trend right it's not a law mm -hmm. it is a, a a theory it is a approved thing that happens in most circumstances but of course evolution is going to find ways to to get out of it um out of the trend there, there's some really cool things that lizards will do in the desert where so they have a larger surface area to volume ratio, uh, which means they lose heat quicker, but they do not regulate their their own body temperature. Well, they, they do in the sense that they have to go bask in the sun to get warm and then go in the shade to cool down, but they don't generate their own heat. Like yeah, it's we not do. an internal mechanism. It's an external factor. Yeah. So some lizards can, um, if you expand their like body, outwards and make it thinner top to bottom um so that it captures more of the sun quicker because it increases the surface area to rolling ratio even more and mm. then once they're they're warm they um you know contract it back to let's say what's normal um again so this have some evolved really evolved some really cool mechanisms as well to exploit the surface area to volume ratio and uptake of heat yeah it's really cool hmm very cool indeed. Oh, hot. Ha ha. Yeah, so. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I wonder if that's, that works with us humans. What do you mean? So, like, if I say that I eat a lot and I essentially increase my, uh, decrease my area to volume ratio, does that yes. mean... I conserve my heat more, so I'm always warm. And how would I be able to feel that effect? And how far would um, I have to go as a human I to feel that I think you'd have to go quite far, because even mm. the most obese people feel temperature change, right? Oh, yeah, no, and I'm not saying, like, to completely... To be, like, so I could go stand out <laughs> in a field and then be fine. <laughs> I mean, like, if I lost loads of weight and got really skinny, would that mean that... I would have to use external sources to keep warm more. Uh, I see what you mean. I, I have mm. I have anecdotal, like, I seem to remember speaking to people who've 
lost a lot of weight and they you know they say oh they always have to wear a jumper because they feel cold and things like that right um so that i think that is a thing it, it could be noticeable but you would have to make it mm. dramatic and i think relatively sudden change you know over the course of a few months or a year um you know one winter to the next you probably feel yeah. it right um whereas if you did it gradually over over many years you, you may not you may not feel it oh I man i've got some some tidbits that i didn't tell you about myself that uh i got so i felt those i didn't know i did a blue crest wellness check which is essentially like an mot for a human being they go and they you know weigh you they you take bloods and all that kind of stuff yeah um and i can give you the breakdown of um <clears throat> my like how much percentage water i am <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, i don't know why i find that so funny it's like 50.84 percent water oh so slower than i was thinking uh, yeah that's like and it's smack man in like the health zone so like 45 to like 65 is the the good the good health zone that's where you want to be okay that's good um, I've got 3.7 kilograms of bone mass. Okay. So if you stripped everything away from me and I turned into a dancing skeleton, I would be, I would only weigh 3.7 kilograms. Is that all? Yeah. That, that is all. bones weigh. That's yeah. mad. My current muscle mass is 70, 70 kilograms. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to tell you my, my full weight because <laughs> post this, uh, I'm I'm now dieting. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Yeah, I got a metabolic age of 44. <laughs> For those that don't know, I'm 29. <laughs> um, and this was to do with they work. So your metabolic age is they they do like a they work out the ratio of your bad cholesterol to good cholesterol because if you didn't know that is technically a good kind of cholesterol. I'm doing that in brackets. I don't know why I'm doing that in brackets, but essentially there's a good kind of cholesterol. Um, I am got slightly elevated bad cholesterol and slightly less good cholesterol, which means that the ratio is higher, which puts me in that zone. Oh, I see. Yeah, so I need to get up my good cholesterol, which is called HDL cholesterol, which is high-density lipoprotein cholesterol. Um, and then I need to lose and get rid of, I think it's um, LDL, which is low density lipoproteins, and triglycerides. Triglycerides. Yeah. 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 But that's not fair. as much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it means that I've got a total cholesterol to HDL ratio of 6.09, which is bad. And it's bad. So it just means that I need to eat better and exercise more. Which, so far, I have been doing. So we'll see. See how Good it goes. Stuff. You tell us in a year whether you feel colder or not. <laughs> you know, I will. I will. <laughs> cool. Um, any year's time when I go 30, I'll be playing the whole, like, I'll have a um, a, a, a tartan quilt across my legs. And I'll be like, <laughs> I'm always so cold. You say that. I'm sat here in an electric blanket. So. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Uh, it's cold in Scotland. Don't judge me. Um, so, <laughs> I was another thing. Another thing that I looked at. It's potentially um, compared to Bergman's rule. Uh, another <laughs> um, 
potential rule, not a law. This is not the only thing that determines size, but mm-hmm. um, the ecological niche that an animal fits into and their size. So the relationship between the size of an animal and its ecological niche should be quite interesting because I was unsure whether the the size determined the niche or the niche determined the size. Okay. For anyone who doesn't know what a niche is in an uh, ecological sense, um, it's what function that an animal would provide to a biological system. For example, fungus and mushrooms are normally, you know, they, they break things up that have died already and then they fix the nitrogen so that it can go back into the environment again. <laughs> or trees will take carbon dioxide out of the air and put oxygen in and then they provide, you know, fruit, uh, sugar for um, pollinators and other animals and things like that. Um, if you have too many organisms within the same ecological setting that are fighting for the same niche, one of those species um, tends to get outcompeted and either has to find a new niche to exploit uh, in terms of w- in which speciation normally happens to achieve that, or they'll just go extinct. Um, so, Quick fact about the word niche. I read it before I'd heard it. So I thought it was like Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Uh, which then people were like, why are you mentioning the uh, philosopher? <laughs> yes. And I was like, what, Frederick? Yeah, Frederick Nietzsche. <laughs> Nietzsche. I like how that you, you presented that as a fun fact. And I was like, oh, we're going to learn some entomology about the word niche. <laughs> it wasn't at all. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a Mitchell uh, fun fact. Fun fact. Good. Um, so... There are different things that can determine niche from the perspective of size. So um, foraging strategies is one of those. The size of an animal can influence how it can forage. So larger herbivores, for example, might require more extensive ranges to find sufficient food sources. One extreme example of this is the wildebeest uh, in Africa. They travel hundreds, thousands of miles uh, following the rain um, because they're just there's so many of them and they're quite bloody huge bigger than you'd mm-hmm. think um you have your predator prey dynamics so predator size often determines the size of prey that they can effectively capture who would have thunk conversely the size of the prey species can influence the type of predators that can su- successfully hunt and consume them uh, one key example of this I guess, again, in Africa, that your larger animals, your elephants, are pretty much resistant to lions. Apart from in one place in the savannah, where a group, pride of lions, have learnt to hunt elephants with quite frightening success um, in terms of lion kill rate. Um, But that's a very specific thing that uh, one pride of lions tend to do. In that sense cooperation also makes a big difference if you're a lone shark right um you do not have much chance of killing a whale if you're a pod of killer whales then actually um you can become quite effective in that manner Uh, you also have territorial needs so the territorial requirements that an animal has is often influenced by its size or at least its structure so a rabbit for example does not have that large of a territory compared to say I don't know, a mountain lion or some free-ranging wolves. And then you also have it on the opposite side. So your niche would determine your size. So 
the availability of the resources within your ecological niche drive the evolution of body size over time. For example, an environment that is abundant in plant resources might support the evolution of larger herbivores. Whereas if plant abundance is quite low, then your energetic requirements need to be much lower and you would trend towards a lower body size. And when we see this actually happening in places where deforestation is happening quite a lot, some of the animals that are there are trending to actually get um, a little bit smaller. Um, obviously, we're only being able to see that over a few generations, but mm -hmm. um, it certainly seems, seems, seems to be a thing. You also have adaptations to specific environments, so the characteristics of a particular environment, like your climate or your vegetation structure and uh, food resources, will influence the optimal size for animals to navigate. So think about uh, orangutans, maybe, or other New World monkeys or uh, primates that are in a 3D environment in terms of so humans typically live in a 2d environment right we are on our feet always attached to the ground uh, birds are in a 3d environment because they are flying around and then things like your primates and things that li live in trees are in a somewhere between the two they need to be able to get from tree to tree they need to be able to sit on trees and trust it's going to hold their weight so they can't get too big right um conversely birds need to be able to fly so there's probably a gravitational limit on the size that they can get to um and then conversely if you think about other animals in a 3d environment like sharks uh dolphins whales um their gravitational size restrictions are actually a lot bigger um hence why when whales wash up they just tend to die pretty quickly because they just can't breathe uh mm. when they're out of the water um, you also have predator-prey co-evolution, which is something that I find super interesting from an evolutionary point of view. If a... Um, they've seen this happen. If a frog would develop to be poisonous, um, just as a defense mechanism, then perhaps its predator will develop anti-venom or anti-poison within its own blood. So when it consumes a frog, um, it doesn't actually die. And stuff like that is happening all the time. Uh, and that seems wild, but it happens over hundreds of thousands of years. Mm. Um, just somewhat by coincidence. I, I, I know people don't like that term sometimes when you think oh, yeah. life just happens in a series of coincidences, but it seems to. Um, and some coincidences are better than others. And that's evolution, baby. Um <laughs> So the, I got this all from a, a really interesting paper, by the way. I'll, maybe I'll put it in the description of our Instagram uh, post. But essentially, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of both, right? Depending on what niche you are trying to fill will determine your morphology. But also your morphology currently dictates what niche you can fill. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, that may change over time as well. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting interplay there so yeah uh, one thing that i would find uh, interesting uh, to, to speak about is your island dwarfism thing because yes. that sounded cool to, to me <laughs> however if you've got something else you'd rather speak about um no please go, go wild no 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 we'll hear about because i think it builds back 
off the back of what you said about like your Nietzsche. <laughs> your Nietzsche. Yeah. <laughs> your Frederick Nietzsche. Because it I think it would it be classified as a Nietzsche. Well, okay, so insular dwarfism is a evolutionary phenomenon where large animals evolve into smaller forms when their populations are limited to small, isolated environments like islands. And this process contrasts sharply with the slower evolutionary of the larger body sizes, which studies show that the rate of body mass decrease in insular dwarfing what is, is significantly faster than the rate of body mass increase with similar changes in mammals. This rapid evolution towards smaller sizes is thought to be easier due to uh, pedomorphism, pedomorphism, which allows for the evolution of smaller adult body sizes without the need for overcoming numerous evolutionary constraints necessary for increasing size. So, like, if you are getting bigger as an animal, like spiders, you can't just, like, uh, duplicate the size of a spider because it will collapse under its own weight because its its internal systems aren't made for to be that size so as says so in the doctor who episode i mean there is a reason why exoskeletons don't exist on animals larger than lobsters right yeah because it'd be fucking terrifying tom <laughs> well yes, that's the reason terrifying. that is that that is the reason yeah it, yes, would, be it would be terrifying but um, terrifying also it just doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> you need to have the skeleton inside if you want if you want to get bigger. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it also makes sense, right? Because I, I, you'd think evolutionarily that getting bigger is quite a risk. You can only do that if there's enough food around. Yes. Um, so it would be a slower endeavor than getting smaller. Okay. Yeah. So the extent of the dwarfing is influenced by several factors. But surprisingly, the size and isolation of an island, as well as the size of the ancestral continental species, do not directly affect the degree of dwarfism. Instead, the body masses of the largest species within an ecosystem are found to scale with the size of the landmass, suggesting that the ecological dynamics of an island, such as available resources and absence of predators, play more critical roles in determining the size of its inhabitants. Such a weird observation. <laughs> like, how cool is that? Yeah. For example, there's historical examples of this, such as dinosaurs on Heteg Island, now part of Romania, during the Mesozoic era, highlights how insular environments have led to smaller body sizes in species that were typically much larger on the mainland. The discovery of smaller than expected sauropod fossils by paleontologist Fenric Nopska on what was once an island suggests that insular dwarfism has been influencing species sizes for millions of years. A model example of insular dwarfism can be observed in the feral cattle on Anstan Island. Initially introduced with no natural predators or competitors, these cattle underwent rapid body size reduction within just a few generations. Their average body mass decreased significantly from what their ancestral breeds, demonstrating one of the highest rates of dwarfing documented in mammals. This change was likely facilitated by the high population densities the cattle achieved and the diverse atypical habitats they occupied, including shifts in their diet and life history traits towards those associated with fast life strategies. Where was this island, sorry? Amsterdam. Amsterdam. I just typed Amsterdam in feral cattle island. <laughs> <laughs> to, to try and see how um, small these things are. Uh, Amsterdam so, Cattle Island. Yeah, five cattle were introduced in 1871 and numbered about 2,000 in 
I mean, I guess that's what happens when you just leave five. It is a. It's not Amsterdam. It's Amsterdam Island, which is a very small island. <laughs> very small island. Yeah. Um. But essentially, yeah, they left them there. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see. Do they look specifically small? It's hard to say by picture. Because uh, if you go on the Wikipedia page, it's got it's got them there, and they are. As a someone from the southwest, they are smaller looking cows. I hate to say, be able to I hate to be able to say that. Yeah. I can. <laughs> it's also difficult because the only reference you have here is other small cows. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, weirdly, the cattle posed, uh, although the cattle posed a threat to the, the island's environment, they formed one of the very few herds of feral Bostaurus anywhere in the world. Yeah, that's cool. Which I is mean... just cattle. It's one of the few places that actually has feral cattle. The original five cattle had grown to about 2,000, which occupied an area of 2,000 hectares. just must be so inbred. <laughs> a density of 0. 0.64 individuals per hectare. Yeah. Oh. I just typed in wild cattle. Uh, to see if there are any other wild cattle in in the world, and mm-hmm. Chillingham Cattle in the UK is claiming <laughs> that they have the only wild cattle in the world, which can't be That's true because they're, <laughs> they're 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 in a castle; <laughs> they're, they're not allowed out. <laughs> yeah, that's not right. No, that's just false. Stay with us. I just Ooh. I just found the. The restoration of Amsterdam Island, South Island Ocean, follow control of feral cattle. Yeah, because they released it and it destroyed all the like the local plantation. And because the cattle were still there, it couldn't grow back. Yeah, uh, yeah. Humans at it again. Yeah. Amsterdam Island is the richest in endemic species, but its indigenous terrestrial ecosystem is drastically modified. Sealers and transoceanic voyages caused irreversible damage to the native fauna and flora, either directly by fires and culling or indirectly by introducing animals. An endemic flightless duck and several petrels have recently become extinct. Nevertheless, some of the endemic flora and fauna survived and its discovery of a relic population of Amsterdam albatross, Dimedia amsterdaminis, in 1983 resulted in the establishment of a restoration program because they found... The bird that can fly forever. The albatross. A wandering, wandering albatross. Yep. Cool. All right. Uh, we've got a couple minutes left. Anything else you'd like to... Oh, I've got a massive section on why like humans are really bad at thinking about big things. I mean, I've also got a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um... One of my... Well, this will link to next week. And next week's episode, which I really, really like doing, is my own personal conspiracy theory that not being able to think... And it comes from a short story that I read a while ago. It's a sci-fi short story that um, humans not being able to cognitively be able to hold large-scale phenomena in in our head is an evolutionary survival mechanism mechanism for something out there in the void that we shouldn't perceive 
and because we we evolved to not be able to speak, perceive it, it, it meant we were able to uh, evolve intelligence, and that's why other animals don't have the same level of intelligence as humans do because they didn't evolve the right trait to not be able to perceive what's out there. Okay, it's just like this is like eldritch horror. Yeah, this is like eldritch horror storybook kind of thing. But I really like the idea of it. Is is this like a Reddit thing? No, it is a book. Oh, it's, a, it's an actual book. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just a book. It's a in a book. Okay, cool, fair. I really, I really like that idea, as a, as, a, as the why the human brain cannot and should not be able to. Yeah, terrifying. We're just not very good at some things. Veil. I mean, um, you know, I won't analyze that evolutionarily. We'll come to it next week. Conspiracy From theories. Conspiracy theory episode, yes. which we always love doing. I yeah, it's always a good always time. always love. Yes. Always. <laughs> Graves is like, are there any good ones recently? Any good conspiracy theories recently? And I was like, I don't think there's been actually any good ones as of late. No, I mean... We'll speak about this next week, but COVID really was a prime time. Yes. And we'll speak about yeah. why um, as well. Because, um, yeah, it really was a, an unintentional... I was going to say it really was an experiment, but that's going to trigger some conspiracy theories. It was a yeah. worldwide experiment into the psyche of people trapped alone. Oh, and, the latest... Uh, no, sorry. The latest conspiracy theory was that um, Taylor Swift and the Super Bowl shenanigans i didn't what i didn't watch it oh uh, it was to do with like how uh the republicans in america and like the conspiracy theorists believe that um taylor swift was weaponized to like push an agenda on <laughs> the american people via the super bowl and then it was perpetrated by perpetuated, not perpetrated, perpetuated by Biden making a tweet about it. When like full rogue, just to wind people up, made a tweet about it to further propagate that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, before we go too far off the rails, <laughs> down that rabbit which hole, which we we've done a little bit this episode. So if you stuck with us, thank you very much. But that will bring us to a wrap. So don't forget to share this with your friends, families, coworkers. Anyone who will listen will take them all. Um, if you can, could just go chuck a speaker on an island, then go give those cattle something. No, don't do not do that. Leave the wildlife alone, people. Um, you can find us on the website formerly known as Twitter, TikTok, at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, and of course, whichever directory you're listening to this on right now. If you give us a like, rating, follow, comment, whatever it is, we appreciate it massively. One of the best things you can do is share the podcast. If you don't actually want to share this to, to anyone because you're too embarrassed, then just click the copy link button and uh, that actually thinks you've shared it. You don't actually have to send it to anyone. Yeah, boost us in that algorithm. Exactly. Um, and it just helps us out more than you know. If you enjoy content and you consume it, hit a button. Mm -hmm. Hit a button. Cool. Anything else you'd like to... Uh, pedal i think for me to pedal yeah apart from my teeny tiny bicicletta no all right that will bring us to the end then so thank you very much we'll catch you guys next time
Ciao for now.